How are you guys? Good? Good. I've actually been um, meeting with uh, a church the last two Sundays that's going through a transition, and that's been really good. I, I so appreciate the space to do that, but it's a good kingdom thing. It's a great little church, and um, there's things that they're learning, and there's things that we learned here in our transition that really helped us. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, and it's in your bulletin there, and it's, we're using a different translation today, the, the message paraphrase. How many of you have read uh, the, the message before? Raise your hand real high so I can see. Yeah, I would encourage you to, sometimes you're in your Bible reading, people say, you know what, if I'm honest, it feels a little dull, and I think there's two things that can really help us. There's so many good translations. Change the translation and read in that for a while. Um, and the other thing that I find really helps people with their Bible reading is uh, to read through a chronological Bible. How many have done that? Have you done that? And you start to see, oh, that prophet was with that king, and, that, and, and you see the historicity as it lines up. It's, it's very helpful. like it. Well, there's a book called The All Better Book. Have you heard of that book? It's, uh, the author is working with kids to answer big questions. You remember the Art Link Letter show, Kids Say the Darndest Things? You know, and they, they do say some amazing things, and they also have some great advice. And in this book, the author, Susie Becker, you know, asked about the ozone layer and how to help people stop smoking, but the kids said this was the toughest question that they were asked. Here's the question. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What would you suggest? That's a hard question, isn't it? So here are some things that the, uh, the kids suggested. Are you ready for this? Kalani, who's eight years old, says this, people should find lonely people and ask their name and address. Then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. And when you have an even amount of each, Assign lonely people and not lonely people together in the newspaper. I mean, this kid has the gift of administration. I want to find her and, you know, hire her. So Max, who's age nine, says, this is a creative idea. He's an outside-the-box thinker. He says, make food that talks to you when you eat. (laughs) For instance... It would say, how are you doing? <laughs> what would you do if you picked up your hamburger? How are you doing? You'd feel guilty eating it, wouldn't you? That's like, Max, I, I love the outside-the-box thinking, but I don't know if that's going to work. So then, you know, Matt comes along, and he says this, we could get people a pet or a husband or a wife and take them places. <laughs> Makes you wonder, you know, what's his vision of marriage? What's he thinking there? But the most touching response is this one. Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes when I think no one loves me, I do one of these. Brian, age eight. Trying to answer the question of, you know, what, what do you do with these lonely people? You know, what's the system? And, and there's no pain like loneliness. It, 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 it's, a, it's a pain that pierces every part of our being. There's a woman who is a writer for the Chicago Tribune. Her name is Marla Paul, and, and she, is a, she writes weekly this column. 
And the column that by far and away had the most responses in her career of writing, which has spanned decades now, was uh, an article that she talked about her own personal loneliness. She said this, This loneliness saddens me. How did it happen that I could be 42 years old and not have enough friends? This resonated so much with her readers that she got seven times her normal responses. And as a result, she wrote an ongoing series about what is it about loneliness? What's, what's happening to us? Why is this going on? So that's, that's a woman. Now, guys, listen to this. I mean, that's, that's a plight. She's 42. She's a female. She's feeling alone. But it, 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 it's now been discovered in a recent survey that over 90% of American males don't have one friend. They're that alone. Over 90%. Loneliness, said Mother Teresa, is the leprosy of the modern society. To be alone means to, to it signals to you you don't matter. And so this question of with billions of people on the planet, we should be able to figure out some kind of system so no one's alone, right? One of the most expansive studies, the Alameda County study, was headed by Harvard Social Science scientists, and they studied 7,000 people over nine years, almost a full decade. They found that isolated people were three times more likely to die than those that had relational connections. People who had bad health habits, poor eating, smoking, obesity, alcohol use it, but strong social ties live significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than eat broccoli alone. <laughs> right? Can I get an amen? Right. Robert Putnam is one of my heroes. He's a social scientist, also from Harvard. He wrote a book called Bowling Alone. Really a, a worthwhile read. All the libraries have it. He says this. His group has discovered that if you, if you have no groups and you decide to join one group, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half just by virtue of joining this group. The Journal of American Medical Association studied people that were affected by the common cold. And they, they, this is what they found. It says the study, they found people with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off illnesses, especially common colds. These people were less susceptible to colds, less susceptible to viruses, and produced and produce significantly less mucus than relationally isolated subjects. The reason that's important is that it's true isolated people are more snotty. <laughs> I know that was bad. I just thought I would test the market and see how we did. But loneliness, it, it's, it's, it's huge. And, and we've got, we, we got this question with billions of people we should come up with a system. Let's think for a moment about why, why, why are we lonely? Think, think about this in your own head and heart right now, the privacy of that. Why do you think we're lonely? And I want to just offer to you my take on this because it consumes my thinking. It really does. I think one reason we tend to fall on the lonely side is we have a lot of self-doubts. We have a lot of a lot of questions about 
you know, will I be accepted? Am I acceptable? Am I normal? I just met with someone this week, and the guy kept saying in our time of meeting, he says, now, I'm just a very weird person. Finally, I said, what, what, what do you mean by weird? Is there something like, do you have three legs or something? What, what, you know, what's weird about you? What do you mean by that? And really what he was wondering about was he saw some things that made him uniquely him, and it was different than others, but his translation was no one else would like those things. We have a lot of self-doubts about that. And so we feel like we're safer alone. Because then we don't have to risk being misunderstood or someone confirming the fact that maybe we're weird. And then we all have had experiences where someone tells us that. Someone points out, you're weird. I, I remember in, in third grade, um, you know, you're just in those new social settings and elementary age kids just say it like it is. And this one kid called me fat. And I, I hadn't been called fat before. So I remember going home and saying to my mom, Mom, am I fat? And, and she took the deep mom breath, you know, like, how do I answer this question? She goes, oh, no, Mark, you're husky. <laughs> and for a while I felt good about that until someone told me what husky means. But so, you know, you, you have your own doubts, and then you have the doubts around you. And I, I can't tell you over the years of sitting with people and hearing their stories, you know, dads that said things that just won't come out. I, I remember one guy who was almost 70 years old telling me at the end of this one session, he said to me, he goes, I still hear my dad right here telling me, you're a loser. And his dad was long gone. But the voice was still right here. You're a loser. It echoed. When you have that echoing, it's like, how am I going to insert myself and risk putting myself in a group of other people? What if they say, I'm a loser? And, and then, you know, when you have those experiences, we tend to also start to slide. Has this happened to you where things people have said about you, then you start to attribute it to the divine, like God's saying it too. Has that happened to you? It's happened to me. You know, where, where I thought, yeah. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm really that way, or maybe there's no hope for me. And, and, and so you, you have this deep sense of loneliness, and you see the fragmentations. It starts in the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? As soon as the tree of knowledge of good and evil, when we take it upon ourselves to start to say what's right and wrong, all of a sudden the cover-ups and the hiding happen, happens, doesn't it? And the Garden became a very lonely place. So what's the solution? This is where Hebrews comes in. Hebrews 10 says this, and we want to think about what I'm suggesting for what's causing this loneliness because the writer in Hebrews, he's, he says this right in verse 22. He says, so let's do it. Let, in other words, let's do this Christian life full of belief, confident that we're what? Say it. Where? Say it like you mean it. It's getting better. Let's say it together. Confident that we're presentable inside and out. You see, that's, that's what... So this is so otherworldly because in our world we have all kinds of pictures. I talked... Several months ago, with a young lady struggling with her body image. 
And she's just at that place right between high school and college. And, and she's struggling with all the images. I think we should burn the magazines. Either that or let's put real people on it for crying out loud. I mean, who can look like that? Now, I know people admire my physique all the time. <laughs> you, you can't Photoshop Mark Spencer right here. You, this you get. Here it is, you know. Let's be real about this. So this poor girl who's talking to me is sitting the whole time pulling on herself. She's skinny as a rail. Wiggling, pulling on her clothes, and I'm thinking, Lord, have mercy. The imagery here is so wrong. So wrong. She's so stuck. And the world around us keeps shouting all these things, and so we have... The, the whole first 10 chapters of Hebrews is announcing we've got this otherworldly love coming into this world. It's otherworldly. Where else can you get unconditional love, people? Where else? The reason it's so hard to believe is, is it really unconditional? Does he really love me as I am, not as I should be? Because none of us are as we should be. Does he really? And it seems so otherworldly, doesn't it? And this is exactly why in Romans 8, the Spirit comes into our heart. And what does the Spirit do? It shouts, Abba. In other words, saying, you're now my child and I'm now your father. And I love the daylights out of you and I love this church sign. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. That's for real, people, Right? You walk into a friend's house, you check out their refrigerator, don't you? Is, is my Christmas card still on there? Yeah, we got pictures all you know you're You know you really made it if you're on the refrigerator. And you're on God's refrigerator. It's so otherworldly, and that's why the Spirit has to get deposited in us to keep affirming and confirming to us you are loved with an everlasting love. But I, you know, as difficult as that is and as challenging as it is, I don't think that's the biggest issue we have. I think our bigger issue is, will you love me? Don't you? Because, you know, this we can read about and we can go home and we can sit around and have lunch and say, yep, Jesus loves you. Yep, he loves me too. And, you know, it's, I don't know, it's kind of ethereal. But the reality is, here, in this room, do you love me? Right? That's where we're really getting down to nitty-gritty is, what about me? And we can know that God loves us, but we can still feel very alone. And I've talked to, I don't know how many Christians, who will tell me, oh, yeah, 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 I agree. God loves me. But, but why, if God loves me, can't these people love me? What's, what's that? And so the big question is, is in Hebrews 10, every, these chapters, we hear about now the way to heaven, the, the holy of holies is open to us. You can just walk right in because Jesus the priest is right. Come on in. You know you're really at a good friend's house when you don't even ring the doorbell, right, people? You just kind of walk in. Hey, I'm here. Right? And so what the writer's saying, that's open, but what does that mean for here? What's the impact for us? And you see, in, in if, 
we won't take the time this morning because I'm, I'm watching the time as we're talking here, but I would encourage you tonight, read the last part of chapter 4. Excuse me, sweetheart. and Read the last part of chapter 4 in Hebrews. And then read this part in Hebrews 10 because they're very similar. But there's one big difference which we're about to get into. But at the end of chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it talks about the great high priest, and therefore you just come as you are. And now in chapter 10, it's saying this, the same thing, but now the author is going to add something that moves us to this question of, if the heavens are open to us, what about the impact here? And this is the difference that he adds. He says, and let us consider, let us consider what? How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. See, this, now it's not, let's, let us consider the, the betterness of Jesus' priesthood or his sacrifice, all those things. That's important to consider. But now that that's done, now let's move to great commandment number two because we know great commandment number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And the writer is saying, let's get into this now. Let's talk about what that means for this. And it moves us deeper. And you see, at this point in time, there's something that's happening in the story, the grand gospel movement, the kingdom movement that is redeeming humanity. You see, when Jesus comes, he comes as the new Adam. Because the old Adam didn't work out, right? We know in Genesis it didn't work. The new Adam has come now to restart humanity, to relaunch the kingdom, to redeem it. And it's not just going to stop with just one person doing that. It's snowballing. It isn't about just Jesus. It's about Jesus and his people. That's the difference. Jesus is rolling in a whole new way. And we see this. We resonate with this when we see different things happen in life. When we see generations traverse where social stratus traverses, and the young one offers the old one a sandwich. And look at that, I mean, that, look at that face. Or when we see the gap of war and race, all of a sudden it's crossed. And I, I looked at this and I, and I, you know, I thought, oh, don't give her pop. That's how weird I am. It's like, that has fructose, don't do that. And, and this story, we love stories like this. What do you think is happening in this picture? It's not a trick question. What's happening? What do you see? What was it, Kathleen? She's helping her to the finish line. Yeah. Listen to the story. 17-year-old Meg Vogel was in last place in the 3,200-meter race when she caught up to competitor Arden McMath, whose body was giving out. Instead of running past her to avoid the last-place finish, Meg Vogel put McCass's arm around her shoulders and carried her 30 minutes to the finish and then, get this, pushed her over the finish line before crossing it. 
When we see that, we go, that's humanity as Jesus intended it. Can I get an amen? It's like, that's how it's supposed to work. That's what it looks like. And it's because it's, it's written in our hearts and minds. That's what the writer says. It's, it's, it's put in there. And so when we see humanity doing the Jesus thing, we go, yes, that's it. But you see, it isn't the movement. The author's saying it isn't enough that Jesus does it. It's that we follow him into doing it with him. In, the, in the, the previous chapter, which Sharon did a great job teaching on, two times, Psalm 40, verse 7, is quoted. Here I am, I've come to do your will. And the author is building on this. What we should know about the author of Hebrews now is they're very logical, and they're always building A, B, C, D, right? Chunking along this argument. And this whole notion that we would all of a sudden, because all the alley oxen free, we're safe to come into the open, like Sharon was saying last week. Now that we're safe in Jesus, let us begin to care for one another, just like Jesus, just like that. Hence this notion of here I am. I've come to do your will. It's the whole Jesus picture in the New Testament. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're called to give the reasonable act of worship. What is it, people? Is it singing? Is it praying? Is it tithing? Do you know what it is? It's that you would be a living sacrifice. And that your mind would be renewed and that you would begin to do the Jesus stuff. In other words, you would say, here I am. Ali, ali, oxen free, here I am. I'm stepping out into the open and I've come to do your will. I've come to roll like you roll. Romans 8, 28, we love the first part. And we know that in all things, God works for good to those who love him. We love that verse, don't we? Who's called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brothers. In other words, in the movement of the book, the writer is now saying, listen, our salvation's taken care of. Our security's taken care of. We are perfected inside and out. Now let's be inventive to figure out how we can encourage one another to love and to help out, not avoiding meeting together. This whole notion is the mission. Why? Because the Jesus in us keeps doing this. And he keeps calling to us, come on. And so the, this mission is, let us consider right now, today, looking around the room, how can I spur my brother or sister onto love and good deeds? All four big values that Brendan's laid out are in here. You got to pray to say, Lord, how do I do that? You got to step into it, discipleship. That's the second one. Mission's going where he's going. You're doing that, right? In community, it can't happen if we're not together. Close your eyes. I got to take a poll. No peeking. Remember, God is watching. <laughs> In the last week, 
How many of you received encouragement? Better than I thought. Okay, put your arms down, close them. I'd say a third to maybe a half. But now you, you that got encouraged, how about spreading that around? How about spreading it around? Because there's people in this room that need encouragement. And our mission then is that how do we do this? You see, it, you, I'm an associate pastor here. I, I, I've done all kinds. I was the interim youth pastor. I was the interim senior pastor. I was the, the janitor. Um, no, not really. I, I'm not a very good cleaner, so that wouldn't work out too well. But I've had all these different roles. And I, I remember when I was an interim senior pastor, I was, my burden is to help people get connected. So now you could call me a community life pastor. That's fine. And I want to see people get connected. But you see, here's the reality. I can't do this for you. I can find ways to encourage you. I can find ways to love you. I can, but I can't do it for all of you. And I'm not supposed to. Can we agree? Look at me. Can we agree that we're all supposed to do this. Can we? Can we? Can we agree? Whoa, that's a big deal to me. It's a big deal. Because if we agree we're all supposed to do it, then when we come and we walk into the doors, we walk through those doors and we're like, Lord, show me who needs love, who needs encouragement. Lead me. I, I just had such an awesome week because I, I sat with people that were going through things. And as I was listening, we met with Jesus. We would pray together. And I was just watching all kinds of amazing life things that had stopped them from going. All of a sudden, they're free. And it wouldn't have happened if they were just Jesus and them. It was about Jesus and them and me. I, it was community, connecting. And, and then freedom happened. And if, if we all agree that this is for all of us, then all of us can be in this, right? In my history, I've, I've been here, I've been involved with Bridgewood Community Church almost since it started as an advisory board member. And then I did some men's retreats and different things. So I've been along the ride here. And there's been two times where we've had in our small group connection, times where um, over 80% of our congregation was in a small group. One time was when we did 40 days of community, and I wasn't on staff then. But, but when I asked about it, what was hard for me was that after the 40 days was done, guess what happened to the groups? Yeah. And then when I stepped into pastoring here, I thought, okay, we've got to get people together. Let's get them together. And so um, I kind of shepherded more like a, an old cow hand. Yeehaw! I'll get into your sheep pen, you know? And I started putting people in sermon-based groups, and we had over 80% of our people in groups. But when the sermon series was done, what do you think happened? It done. You see, we have a very good church here, you guys. Do you know that? We're not perfect, right? In fact, I love this church sign. Pobody is nerfic. Come on inside. That's us, right? That's us. We're not there, you know? We're trying to figure out how do we do this. But listen, I know this, 
that if we begin to partner with the great high priest Jesus, who knows how to do this really well, and we, and we commit to how can we inspire one another to love and good deeds, if we begin to really dig in and we all do this together, we're going to have some really good movement, right? It isn't going to be because Mark Spencer, you know, yee-haw, inside that. It's going to be because we all of a sudden stepped into the text in a way where that word became living word to us. And we began to do this knowing that Pobody is nerfic. We know that. We know that. So we're going to make mistakes along the way. But if we can do that, that's amazing. Because isn't it amazing that, that when Jesus the high priest comes... What he's finishing, when he's finishing his tour on earth, he prays this prayer, Father, make them one, even as you and I are one. What? Now, that doesn't mean that you and I are going to be junior gods. That's nonsense. That's not, we know that. But what he is saying is, let them experience this Trinitarian community in its perfection. Because you know the Father loves the Son right? And we know the Spirit is always bringing that encouragement. There's just this wonderful thing. And so we know that's what we're invited into, even with our imperfections. But what the author is calling us to do and to realize is that we need to be the solution. We do. It's up to us. If it will be, it's us. I can't do it alone. We can do it together. So things that I can do is like we can do the talentless show, and we can come and hang out. We can maybe look for one another and get to know one another or see Mark Spencer try to do hula hoop very carefully after I get a note from my orthopedic surgeon. We could sign up for dinners for eight. And you could, you know, you could go meet some neat people. On June 13th, we, we are going to start discipleship training from nine until noon. You're invited. I'm going to put some more information on this. Uh, in the ongoing weeks, but we really want to begin to say, what does it look like if we really think we're supposed to spur one another on to love and good deeds? What does that look like? How do we, how do, we do that? And I want to encourage you, put that on the calendar and come. You might notice around, this isn't the, the big version of it. I was going to make a slide and my computer w- wouldn't work, but um, you'll see this thing. And, and I, someone had asked me, well, Mark, how, what does it look like to share life together? So I said, well, let me give you a few things. One of these is hanging on the bulletin board. How? Invite someone out for coffee. Serve together. Pray together. You notice someone who's moving a little bit slower or looks a little bit long in the face, pray with them. Do something fun together. We're always, I mean, Brendan has got like the spiritual gift of fun. He's always coming up with something. And introduce someone to your favorite restaurant. Read a book together and talk about it. Take communion together when we have communion. You know, someone's going to say, hey, would you like someone to go do communion with you? I'll come up with you. We could start a revolution. Just add to that list. Start thinking now, how could we share life together? Because here's the bottom line. I like church signs. I look at them all the time. What's missing from that you are. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. What do we need? You. To do what? Encourage one another. From this new place where the priest has encouraged you, encourage them. Find a place. Do the work. 
I think if we really take this serious, if we really devote ourselves to this, it could be game-changing. Who does not want to come into a place where love and encouragement flows freely? Let's pray. Lord, the book brings us to a place, and as we get ready to take our offering, we're, we're at this place where what I hear in my head is Psalm 40, verse 7. Here I am. Send me. I've come to do your will. Everyone in the room has acknowledged, Lord, that this is something that you're asking us to do to encourage one another. I know for me, I want to do that. I don't always do it well. I don't know about my friends here, where they're at. But Lord, I know this. You love to see it when it happens. So we say, Jesus, make it happen. Make it happen. Here we are. We've come to do your will. Let that be reflected in what happens after this service, right now as we give, right now as we worship, right now as we look around the room for who we might encourage, pray for, stand with. And we thank you that you are ever standing in the Holy of Holies, encouraging us. In Jesus' name, amen.